the MMA Fighter Archive just surpassed 2,000 fighter profiles on there from all different promotions from all over the world. We are pretty close to that 50 subscriber mark as well. So shout out to everybody that supported it to this point. But this weekend, not only do we have UFC 292, but we also have PFL, KSW, and LFA going down. And we're right in the thick of the Contender Series schedule as well. So if you want to look for direct links to past fights for all these fighters competing on these upcoming promotions, the Fighter Archive has you covered. There's a reason the main one of the main commentators on the Contender Series uses this service so that they can give you the information required so you know what to expect when these fighters throw down. So if you enjoy doing your own predicting, researching, and breaking down fights, the Fight Archive is an essential service required so that you know that you leave no stone unturned when you're researching these fighters. Check it out for a free seven-day free trial. Link available in the description below. And before you shell out any money, try it out. Use the free trial and then you'll see that it's worth the bang for your buck appreciate the love and support as always check it out again link in the description below let's get right into the episode Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC 292, headlined by Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley for the Bantamweight title. And then in the Coleman event, we got the Strawweight title on the line between Wally Zhang and Amanda Lemos. We got a bunch of other fun fights sprinkled out throughout the card, not to mention the tough finale, which goes down on the prelims. So we got a ton of action to get through for you guys. I want to quickly uh shout out everybody that's continued to support your boy over the last two weeks during my battle with covid it was really shitty but i finally got the bells and whistles back about me but one of the good things that i found out about that time is it seems like you guys really appreciate the you know abbreviated version of the breakdowns not really going super in depth with these breakdowns but glossing over the things that i feel are important for every matchup rather than breaking down the nitty-gritty of every single thing so that we get it done in a solid amount of time and not have you guys sitting here and listen to the podcast for a full hour so i'm going to be abbreviating a lot of these breakdowns for you guys if you want the even more in-depth version of the breakdowns you'll be able to find that on the patreon not just that obviously that will be in written form but also breakdowns for regional mma promotions as well such as lfa which goes down this weekend as well as pfl which goes down this weekend so i won't be doing any videos or anything for that that is strictly for the patreon members check the link in the description below if you want to get in on the the patreon and and see what i'm thinking for the lfa and pfl cards this weekend quickly let's go over a quick recap of last weekend for the lock of the night prediction we go two and oh we go one and oh or sorry we 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 hit blackshear for the ufc but we also hit moldovsky for bellator as well so we go two and oh last week on lock of the night predictions that raises our uh record now to 66 and 21 on the year for a 76 percent hit rate on lock of the night predictions that's not just ufc that's every promotion that i cover and break down for you guys on the uh on my youtube channel as well as my patreon page as well dog of the night on a bit of a little bit of a slump right now where uh we missed on juliana miller and jarell hodge last week uh that drops our record down to 36 and 51 for a 44 percent hit rate i i could be off on that number i think i had to update that but it's 36 and 51 not a good look got to get back on the right side of that 
Again, LFA and PFL breakdowns are strictly going to be on the Patreon. Make sure you check that out. And also, quick shout out to Godzilla Wins for giving your place, uh, giving your boy a platform to release written breakdowns to the public. On Wednesdays, we release the main event breakdowns. And then on Thursdays, we do the three best money line bets that you can find on the Godzilla Wins page. Link in the description below will be there for you guys once the uh, content gets released again on Wednesday and Thursday, respectively. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into the breakdowns. We're going to do all of this through one sit-through. I'm going to have to do a quick uh, re-up and... Um, <clears throat> fixing of the camera halfway through this but for the most part we're just going to sit through this and get through it and you guys can enjoy the new fancy logos that we got for the or the new fancy graphics that we have for the podcast as well all right first fight of the night we're going to be talking about Karine Silva going up against Marina Moroz in a flyweight belt. Now, this is actually a rematch of a fight that took place over nine years ago on the regional scene where Marina Moroz was able to get an armbar victory over Karine Silva. That was the fight that vaulted Moroz into the UFC where she ended up pulling off the upset in her debut against Joanne Wood by armbarring her as well. But it seemed their first fight was pretty much taking place in the grappling realm. We saw Karine Silva take down Moroz almost immediately, but Moroz was very active in terms of looking for a submission off her back and she eventually latched onto the armbar and took it on home with her. Karene Silva is now a brown belt in BJJ and we know that she's working on that considering the vast majority of her wins at this point have come via submission. 19 of her 20 professional MMA fights have finished inside the distance. The loan that went to the distance was the fight that she ended up losing against LFA standout Dione Barbosa. But Karene Silva is very active looking for submissions especially when she gets fights to the ground. Her striking leaves a little bit to be desired because she just pot shots using it as range finders to eventually get fights to the ground and then from there she immediately attacks the neck which is in her hope opening up uh, uh, position or, or uh, transitions for her to get into better dominant positions or even opening up submission opportunities for herself marina moroz is going to be the better striker in this fight without a doubt even though she had her two fight or three fight winning streak snapped last time around by jennifer maya she was starting to come out late in that matchup and she was starting to get into a groove in terms of striking from distance she has fallen in love with the grapple-heavy approach during that winning streak she was on, but for some reason she didn't shoot any takedowns in this last matchup. I'm expecting to, her to use her defensive grappling once again in this matchup to throw up submissions, look for reversals and get-ups, and then really touch up Silva on the feet. I expect this to be a little bit close early, but as we start to get down the stretch, I expect Moroz's striking to prevail here, and I think she ends up winning this fight by decision. I do believe she'll be the better technical striker, like I said, and she'll be able to get off better shots from distance, making it look better for the judges and nullifying the control time that Karen Silva will likely get here. So let's start off the card with an underdog and Moroz by decision. Next up, we got, uh, what's this next one here? We got uh, Andrea Lee going up against Natalia Silva uh, for a flyweight matchup. Very intriguing matchup here as Andrea Lee is looking to buck a two-fight losing streak that she's currently on. Say what you want about the decision victory or loss that she had last time around. <clears throat> Excuse me. COVID still popping up a little bit. Uh, the decision loss that she had to Macy Barber last time around. That fight, she got a couple of takedowns, but she really didn't do much with it as Barber was the one landing the more damaging shots throughout that matchup. Andrea Lee is one of the more inconsistent fighters on the UFC roster as she can look like a world beater and number one contender in fights like she had against Cynthia Calvillo and then she can com lay a complete goose egg like she did against Viviani Araujo. She's a very solid striker who throws in combinations and likes to get work done from distance but she doesn't have a bad submission game as well if she get looks to take fights to the ground. 
To me, she just doesn't seem like she has what it takes to get over that hump. She has a 5-5 five and five record in the UFC, and she was a very highly touted prospect coming into the UFC. Safe to say she's kind of busted more often than not. On the flip side for Natalia Silva, she's riding a, I believe it's a 9-fight winning streak or a 7-fight winning streak, sorry, uh, three of those wins coming inside the UFC. She's looked unstoppable. She's done a great job in terms of using her lateral movement to utilize her striking from distance, and she does a great job in terms of planting and throwing often enough so that the optics of her moving backwards for the majority of the fight does not look that bad. She dealt with a little bit of adversity against Teresa Bleda, where Bleda was able to take her to the ground and grind her up from that top position. However, it got harder for Bleda to secure that top position in the second round and third round, which allowed Silva to pretty much have target practice against Bleda and eventually knocking her out in the third round of that fight. Last time around against Victoria Leonardo, she was a massive favorite, and she did exactly what a massive favorite was able to do when she was able to finish her off within three minutes of that fight. I lean Silva on this fight, and I'm not too high on the chalky price tag that she's at, considering that Andrea Lee has the experience advantage here, and if she looks to take a grapple-heavy approach, she could have some success. However, I feel like Silva's movement, striking, and accuracy is going to end up being too much for Lee. She'll be able to land the more significant strikes from distance, and that will allow her to land severe damage and make it look good enough for the judges for her to eventually get her hand raised by decision in this matchup. But again, the line a little bit too wide. I would rather hone in on that Natalia Silva by decision line more than her actual money line. Next up, we're going to be talking about a middleweight matchup between Andre Petrosky and Gerald Mearshart. Obviously, you got Petrosky as a heavy favorite in this fight. He's currently riding a four-fight winning streak, and that includes his UFC debut, where he continues to prove people wrong about the cardio issue narrative that a lot of people like to run with. Obviously, Aaron Jeffrey was able to finish him on the regional scene due to a cardio dump, and Brian Battle was able to do the same thing against uh, Petrosky due to the cardio dump that he had. However, he starts off his UFC career with back-to-back third-round finishes, and then in his last man- matchup, managed to look stronger as the fight went on against Wellington Terman, and he got his hand raised by decision that night. This strong BJJ wrestler, or sorry, BJJ black belt, who's also a very strong wrestler, makes it very difficult for opponents to have much success, especially when he's able to get his hands on them, drag them to the ground, and control them from that top position. He has the nasty choke game as well, but it seems like he's really falling into that, uh, that, that, archetype of a fighter that's comfortable with taking his opponents down and then just controlling them from that top position if a submission opportunity opens itself up great if not he's fine with that as well but it's great to see him getting this experience especially over 15 minutes his opponent Gerald Mearshart is coming into his 52nd I believe uh, uh, professional MMA fight absolutely crazy the amount of experience this guy has but he's also coming off of a knockout loss to Joe Pfeiffer last time around I had a little bit more um, hope and and confidence in Mearshart last time than I should have, especially considering the mat- or the way that he dealt with Bruno Silva in the fight prior to that. He did his patented Gerald Mearshart thing where he put pressure on and eventually got the late finish there, but it also showcases in the Joe Pfeiffer fight uh, that if he really can't get much of his own success going early, he can usually falter due to the durability issues that he also has as well. And I believe that that's what Petrovsky is going to be able to take advantage of. I fully expect Petrovsky to be the stronger wrestler here, but he'll also be putting big power on Gerald Mearshart, which will allow him to possibly finish him in the first two rounds of this fight. Mearshart really needs to have success in terms of establishing his range with his kicking, but I think he's going to have troubles here dealing with the more explosive and powerful fighter in Petrovsky. I'm not big on the Petrovsky money line because I think it's a little bit wide, but what I do like roughly around the same price is the fight doesn't go to decision. I'm expecting violence no matter 
matter who ends up winning this fight, whether if it's Mirshard late or even Petrovsky early, but I'm going to lean with the latter here and say that Petrovsky gets this done by the second round. Next up, we got a lightweight matchup, and this is the final of the Ultimate Fighter. Um, I believe it's for the yeah for the lightweight division. They obviously have another one, I believe, which is in the bantamweight division. But we're not going to find out what the final matchup is until tomorrow. So probably later this week, I will release a single breakdown video of what the finale will end up being. Whether it's Brad Katona, uh, I can't recall who the other two guys are, but it's Brad Katona against one of the other two guys. Um, but yes, this is the Ultimate Fighter finale between Austin Harbor and Kurt Hollibaugh, two guys that used to be in the UFC. Austin Hubbard had a pretty good run in the UFC where he ended up going, uh, well, a pretty good run in terms of the level of competition he was going up against, but he ended up getting cut after only losing one of his fights. That was to Vince Pichel back in August of uh, 2021, a fight night that I was uh, in attendance for over there at the Apex, and uh, he got grinded out by a better Pichel that night. But since then, we've seen Austin Hubbard pick up two big victories on the regional scene, including picking up a regional title as well, but also on the Ultimate Fighter, he showed us the wrinkles in his game which he's added since getting cut from the UFC initially. And that's not just striking, but also going out there and mixing in some takedowns and doing some good work from that top position. His wrestling comes effortlessly for him, especially with how smoothly he strikes and how much of a thud that he lands with his kicks, which is where he got his nickname from. His opponent, Carl Hollibaugh, went 0-3 in the UFC, but that's to be expected when your opponents are Hani Barcelos, Shane Burgos, and Thiago Moises. All three of those guys were able to take a, take advantage of one aspect of Hollibaugh's game, and that's the defensive grappling. We saw Shane Burgos get rocked, but also come back and pull off an armbar victory. And even though Kurt Hollibaugh's a BJJ black belt, he doesn't really lean on that too much in his game. He's more of a slugger that likes to enjoy pocket exchanges with his opponents. We saw him get out grinded for the first round and a half on the Ultimate Fighter opening round, but he was able to latch onto a guillotine choke and pull off the comeback victory that night. And then in his second round matchup against Jason Knight, he more than, you know, Jason Knight is a guy that's willingly going to exchange with his opponents. And that was a perfect fight for Hollibaugh to pick up a win. That's where Hollibaugh exceeds is when opponents are willing to strike with him and exchange in the pocket. But that's not what he's going to get here with the veteran car or Austin Hubbard. Hubbard will do a great job in terms of being competitive in the striking, utilizing his range and kicking from distance to eventually open up take down opportunities where he should be able to get some good damage up from on top, get enough control time and eventually win this fight on the scorecards. I thought the line on him early around minus 250 was a little bit too wide, but now I've seen a ton of love come in on Hollibaugh so that we can get Hubbard around that minus 160, minus 170 range. I'm more than happy to take a shot on him at that point as I believe he grinds this fight out, has the better grappling here offensively speaking. And that should allow him to pick up a decision victory. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Gregory Rodriguez going up against Dennis Tulliulian. This is a pretty much a layup fight for Rodriguez, who's coming off of a knockout loss to Bruno Ferreira earlier this year. Rodriguez, I believe, was scheduled to fight Brad Tavares, but Tavares pulled out and instepped the dangerous Fajera, and unfortunately, Rodriguez was put out after having a solid four minutes of success. But the big power of Fajera showed off that night, and Rodriguez went down. But that snapped a two-fight winning streak from Rodriguez, who was showcasing him very good work throughout that run, even in the split decision loss that he took to Armand Petrosian. He's a high-level BJJ black belt and does a great job in terms of getting fights to the ground and doing solid work from on top. However, he's also improving his striking game, which he's believing a lot in, but I think this last loss to Bruno Fajera might revert him back to that grappling that he's been so successful with in the past. 
And I think that would be the perfect plan for him here against a guy in Dennis Tullulian who struggles with opponents that look to take him to the ground. Just in his past three losses, Ikram Aliyev on the regional scene, Alias Kab Kizriev, and then last time around against Jun Young Park, they were all easily able to take Tullulian to the ground and find dominant positions to eventually get that fight over with. We saw Tullulian at his best when he took on Jamie Pickett two fights ago, but that's a fight he was able to dictate the pace, being the better technical striker and really commanding the respect from Jamie Pickett that night, where he was able to march him down and then eventually finish in the dying seconds of the second round. He's not going to have that advantage advantage here as Rodriguez will be threatening him with takedowns and big power punching of his own and I think that will allow Rodriguez to easily get in on a takedown here and do absolute work from that top position. I'm taking Rodriguez to win this fight very easily and I think he does it inside the distance especially if you want to get a bit of a discount on that money line but regardless I think he's worth the chalk in this spot and I think he does easy work here against Tulian. Next up we got the return uh, in the middleweight division of Mr. Chris Weidman as he comes back from a nearly two-year-long layoff as he goes up against Brad Tavares. Now, obviously, Chris Weidman, we saw him suffer the same fate that Anderson Silva suffered against him with that broken leg injury, very nasty, uh, when Weidman last faced Uriah Hall. We saw Weidman come back earlier this year in a grappling matchup just to ensure that he was ready to go and 100% ready to return to competition. And he looked decently doing it, even though he ended up taking a lot now he's been training between his own gym at Law MMA in Long Island as well as the gym down at with uh, Wonderboy Thompson where he currently resides as permanent residence. But Chris Weidman, we know what he is at his best. He is a guy that looks to take opponents to the ground and do solid work from on top. Del Mario Akmeda fight from a couple years ago is the perfect example of what Chris Weidman is um, capable of at this point in his career. His opponent Brad Tavares is coming off of a knockout loss to Bruno Silva last time around, but also before that picked up his, uh, sorry, gave Drikas Duplessis his first victory by decision considering the shit kicking that Duplessis put on him over 50 minutes that night, but we did not see Brad Tavares quit it all in that fight brad tavares is a veteran of the game who's been in the ufc for over 10 years at this point in time probably even longer than that if i'm not mistaken and he's known for him for his volume striking style he's not normally known to go out there and knock his opponents out through his 22 ufc fights he's only finished two of his opponents uh that being christoph jocko and uh, which was five years ago and phil baroni which was closer to the beginning of his career with the promotion Brad Tavares, like I said, solid striker, comes from a great camp in Extreme Couture. However, I think he's a little bit too big of a favorite here. The red flag in Chris Weidman's career at this point in time was his durability, but he hasn't been knocked out in over four years, which came at light heavyweight against a power puncher like Dominic Reyes. But even before that, it was obviously against much harder power punchers like Yuval Romero, Jacare Souza, um, and the other one is kind of escaping me at this moment in time. But... <clears throat> Brad Tavares is not a guy that's going to have a huge knockout threat here against Weidman, which leads me to believe that Weidman should have some grappling success here. Guys who have really wanted to get Brad Tavares to the mat have been able to, and I think that Chris Weidman will be able to do the same thing. At plus 220, I think the line is a little bit too wide, and I'm going to lean on the grappler here in Weidman. A lot of people, I've talked about this narrative a lot in the past, is that a lot of people put a lot of stock in that standing TKO narrative going into a lot of fights, whereas the guy with the more skills and more paths to the victory ends up winning especially when they're the underdog and I think that's the narrative that we're getting here with Chris Weidman so I'm going to take a shot on the All-American for him to go out there and get his hand raised by decision 
That leads us to our main card, which is not complete yet, as we're supposed to have Mario Bautista still compete on this card, and they're going to get a short notice replacement for him. As of this time, it is not known, but the first fight of the main card is going to be in the bantamweight division between Marlon Chito Vera and Pedro the Young Punisher Munoz. Now, Marlon Vera is coming off that decision loss to Corey Sandhagen earlier this year when they won a full 25 minutes. I believe that card was in San Antonio, if I'm not mistaken. But we saw Sandhagen utilize his unorthodox striking approach and mix in takedowns to really keep uh, Chito Vera on the defensive. Vera, at his best, is a guy that gets stronger as fights go on and gets more ruthless with his striking exchanges. He utilizes nasty knees, head kicks, and elbows when he's able to crash the pocket and utilize his striking. That's where he is best. We've seen, uh, you know, guys like Dominic Cruz and Rob Font have plenty of winning minutes against him, but he does a great job in terms of landing devastating uh, finishes uh, or even spots that end up knocking down his opponents. He's a very cerebral fighter. His opponent, Pedro Munoz, is a guy who's a BJJ black belt, but never really looks to take fights to the ground. The only time I've really seen him on the ground recently was when he knocked down his opponent, Chris Gutierrez, and uh, enjoyed the rest of that round and top position, even without completing a takedown. He just likes to move forward, throw calf kicks, and throw big winging hooks to try to knock his opponents out. But it's opponents that are able to utilize more diverse striking and good movement from range that are able to touch up Pedro Munoz. And I think that's what we're getting here with Marlon Vera. However, considering the slow starting nature of Marlon Vera and the possibility that Pedro Munoz could take off the or could take the first six to seven minutes of this matchup, I don't see the reason in terms of taking the chalk on Vera in this spot. I completely understand people taking the value spot on uh, Pedro Munoz considering the solid work that he brings to the table with his output and his forward movement. Heck, even two judges gave him the first round against Sean O'Malley before that fight ended up in a no contest due to an inadvertent eye poke. But I still lean Chito Vera here, but I think you know taking the over two and a half is probably the best way to go about it. Pedro Munoz, one of the best things about him is his durability. So I think that even though Vera might be able to land the more damaging blows, he will not finish Pedro in the spot. And I think we'll still see Vera get his hand raised by winning rounds two and three, landing the more damaging blows, cutting up Pedro Munoz with his elbows and making it look good enough for the judges. Chalk, just not worth it in my opinion. And again, we're going to go with uh, Marlon Vera by decision. Over two and a half, probably a spot that you can parlay in certain uh, parlays if you want. Next up, we're going to be talking about a welterweight matchup between Neil Magny going up against Ian Machado Gary. Now, obviously, this was supposed to be Gary against Grant or Neil. Why can't I remember his name? Jeff Neal. But Jeff Neal, unfortunately, pulled out uh, last week and in steps Neil Magny, who Gary was wanting this entire time. So it ended up working out in his favor. Magny is one of my favorite veterans in the UFC because of his ability to go out there and defeat people that not a lot of people expect him to beat. Beating guys like Jeff Neal, Max Griffin, Daniel Rodriguez, and even Phil Rowe last time around showcases that he's still a stiff test for a lot of these guys looking to break through to the next level. However, he usually falters under two types of guys. Guys that are grapple-heavy and very strong in the wrestling, like Shavkat Rachmanov, uh, Gilbert Burns, and uh, Michael Chiesa, or guys that are significantly better than him in the technical striking aspects, like Santiago Ponzinibbio and Lorenz Larkin. And that's where I think we're getting here with Machado Gary. Even though he doesn't have as much experience as Neil Magny, I expect his sharper striking style to open up finishing opportunities for him over the 15-minute uh, course of this matchup. I think that his, uh, you know, his sniping shots down the pipe and the way 
way that Magny has kind of reacted not the best to being hit by some of these better strikers, I think that's going to open up a finishing opportunity for Gary. Again, Magny can have some success in terms of tying Gary up against the cage and roughing him up, doing what Magny does best. But I think that Machado Gary has shown great ability to not settle for bad positions, working off the cage and consistently pivoting off while traversing the cage so he doesn't get caught in bad positions. That will allow him to land his strikes down the pipe and that will eventually put Neil Magny away. I in no way am advocating taking minus 400 on Neil Ma- or uh, Ian Machado Gary in the spot, but I'm, what I'm going to be looking to target is this KO prop around that even money line. I'd rather take a shot on that because if he's going to look that minus 400, in my opinion, it's going to be with him getting his hand raised by finish in the spot. I don't think it comes by submission, but I think it comes by knockout. Give me Machado Gary by knockout. Next up, and this is the Cohen event, women's flyweight title on the line. We got Wiley Zhang looking to defend her title uh, for the first time since regaining her title, uh, going up against Amanda Lemos, who's currently on a two-fight winning streak. Now, Wiley Zhang, we obviously know what she's great at. She's a tank of a woman. She loves to crash forward with her big power strikes, but she's also including a grapple-heavy approach in her games now. She's very strong with her wrestling, especially when she's able to assert that top uh, pressure and dominance against her opponents. Um, she's a very hellacious striker as well, putting big power on her, on her opponents, just as we saw with Joanna and Jacek, and then with the ground and pound that she was able to get off on Carla Esparza before latching onto that rear naked choke from the crucifix position. She's very difficult to deal with, and even at 34 years old, I still think she's in her prime, even though she might be cl- coming closer to the end of her prime, I think that she's still capable of going out there and having very strong performances. Her opponent this weekend, Amanda Lemos, is a different fighter when she came back from that long layoff that she had from going from bantamweight losing to Leslie Smith to dropping down to strawweight and looking like an absolute killer. Uh, she was able to get finishes over Marina Rodriguez last time around and Michelle Watterson Gomez uh, uh, the fight before that. But we know what she is. She's a power puncher that likes to hurt her opponents from distance. And she has a strong submission game as well when she's able to hurt her opponents just like she did against Watterson Gomez. But we know if we can kind of stall her out, wear on her, she'll start to slow down the later the fight goes. And that's where opponents will be able to take advantage of her. Jessica Andrade got her in a weird like uh, standing arm triangle choke, which is what was uh, her path to victory that night. But I really believe that, or I really thought Marina Rodriguez was going to be able to get her hand raised by putting on her, you know, classic um, volume heavy approach. But it seemed like the power of Lemos was kind of muzzling her that night. And she only landed like 13 strikes uh, in the first uh, two rounds, which allowed Lemos to really open up in that third round and get the finish that she did. I don't think Wiley Zhang is going to be muzzled in this matchup. I think she's going to utilize her strikes, get this fight to the ground, do some big work from on top. And I think that will eventually open up finishing opportunities opportunities for her in the third or fourth round as Lemos starts to slow down and the power and the threat of the finishing uh you know um, presence that uh, Lemos brings to the table that will start to slow down as well allowing Wally Zhang to run away with this fight late so I'm going to take Wiley Zhang. I think she wins this fight inside the distance I'm going to be targeting that specific prop in the spot as well um and even taking the under three and a half, under four and a half is not a bad idea, as even if Lemos wins, it probably comes early in this matchup. But I think that Wiley Zhang is too well-rounded for her in this spot, and I think that's going to translate to a finish for her late. Give me Wiley Zhang to retain, and still, by finish, let's call it round four. And that brings us to our main event of the evening. That is for the bantamweight title as Aljamain Sterling looks to defend his title for the fourth time as he goes up against Sugar Sean O'Malley, who's riding a solid winning streak now. I believe it's a uh, four-fight winning streak um, 
you know, in between that four fight winning streak is a no contest from Pedro Munoz, but he managed to bounce back in his last matchup with a split decision victory over Piotr Jan. That was a close fight where I thought Jan did enough in the first two rounds to get his hand raised, but the judges saw it the other way and Sean O'Malley was able to get his hand raised. Sean O'Malley, we know what he's good at. He's a wizard at setting up traps in the striking realm, hurting his opponents from distance and putting them away. The flaw in his game has kind of been his takedown defense and his ability to work back to his feet but i know he's a guy that's consistently working on that aspect of his game so that he can maximize his time in the striking realm and really hurt his opponents from distance aljamain sterling is a guy that continuously gets disrespected but i think the grapple heavy approach that he's going to bring to the table here will allow him to stall out sean o'malley and take this home with a decision victory obviously it's going to be harder and harder for sterling to close the distance as sean o'malley is trying to evade uh, the take downs and try to you know set up traps so that he can hurt Aljamain Sterling on uh, closing the distance but I think that's going to get hard for him to do as Sterling does a good job in terms of traversing the cage utilizing his range striking and range finding attacks so that he can eventually get in on a takedown get the back of his opponent and either lock up a submission or control them for the rest of the round just as he's done against plenty of opponents in the past. What I'm going to be looking to target here is not the chalk on Sterling but more so him to win by decision. He is he is possibly able to lock up a submission here against Sean O'Malley but I think that O'Malley has done a good enough job in terms of improving those aspects of his game and I don't think that Sterling is going to be working hard for a finish here I think he knows that it's going to get harder for him to get this fight to the ground and if he starts going hard for submissions or trying to finish uh, O'Malley early uh, that's going to make it harder for him to do it later on in this matchup and make him susceptible to being knocked out which means let's just take it easy in these grappling approaches right uh, just like he did against Piotr Jan just work the back uh, maybe threaten with the submission here and there but don't put too much energy into it so that he can full, stay um, you know as best with his energy reserves over 25 minutes in case he needs that and I think that's what's going to end up happening here I'm a big O'Malley fan and my heart wants him to win this matchup my brain is like hey this is Sterling. We gotta stop disrespecting him. He has a clear grappling advantage in this matchup. And seeing what he's been able to do against guys like Henry Cejudo and Piotr Jan leads me to believe he should be able to do the same thing here against Sean O'Malley. We saw Piotr Jan, I think he land six takedowns on Sean O'Malley. I think Sterling can do the same. Um, hopefully not need as many takedowns because maybe one takedown will allow him to secure the position for the rest of the round. But I think that grapple heavy approach will come through for him once again. So give me Aljamain Sterling and still by decision. And there you guys go. Breakdowns for all 10 currently scheduled fights for this UFC 292 card. Reminder, there is still the Ultimate Fighter finale for the Bantamweight division, which will be revealed tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, once that is revealed probably Wednesday or Thursday I'll drop a single breakdown video for that fight specifically so you guys can get my thoughts on that the contender series also goes down tomorrow so make sure you guys check out the breakdown that I dropped on Sunday that is my contender series days on Sundays I drop my breakdowns for that show so make, you, make sure you guys check it out I have it linked at the end of this video but also you guys can just go to my channel and check it out and then I'll be back for the regularly scheduled segments that I have throughout the week Tuesdays uh, top three lock of the night candidate candidates Wednesdays top three dog of the night candidates Thursdays Lockheed two-step and the Lockheed Trinity and then Friday we got the three best prop bets I am back in full force baby so good to do that as well appreciate every single one of you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already drop a comment below and I'll see you guys again tomorrow for the top three lock of the night candidates peace
last thing. Bah.